The biggest tip is to keep it simple. A lot of times people try to add too many design options, way too many apparel options, and then the customer has analysis paralysis where they can't make a decision because there's too many options. So we try to just make it as simple as possible. Welcome back to the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And on today's episode, I'm talking to Tom Rowan, who started the t-shirt printing business 1-800-T-Shirts out of a single room in his parents' home in 2005. From these humble beginnings, he's grown the business to an average revenue of half a million dollars every month. Tom's here with me today to tell our listeners how he started and grew his t-shirt printing business. We'll find out how he built his brand, how he engages with customers now, and his recipe for achieving steady, consistent growth year over year. Year. Let's hear Tom's insights. Tom, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Let's get started with the background. What made you want to get into the t-shirt industry? In high school and college, I was always coming up with designs and selling t-shirts as a side hustle. So it seemed like a natural fit after graduating. How important is a design background to enter the, the t-shirt industry? Like what, how has your graphics design education helped you grow the business? It wasn't really important because you look at kind of what's trending in the marketplace, but it definitely helped me get started. So as we got started, a designer would have been like one of our highest paid employees, but doing all the designing myself, that allowed us to bootstrap from the start and build a foundation on other areas where we could allocate those funds instead of paying a designer. Now, I'm also curious here because, you know, if you just kind of like Google t-shirt business, there's a lot of t-shirt businesses in the industry. How do you stand out from the competition and what what are your kind of unique offerings or what do you do differently that sets you apart? You know, it might sound cliche, but we go the extra mile on personal customer service. So there's a lot of dot coms out there and, you know, we've got just this personal team behind it that is helping navigate all the the styles of the apparel that you can get, the artwork and everything to make your order come to life. So we're not just order takers, but we want to know the story behind each t-shirt. And from a creative and marketing perspective, we figure out you know what the best style of apparel is, the colors and design to create a finished product that people are going to want to buy and wear for a long time. We want it to be their favorite t-shirt, not the one that they mow the grass in. What form does that take? Is that like time on the phone with the customer? Is that an, an intake form that you've designed? What's the sort of process to to kind of give that personalized service? Yes, we do a discovery call to learn about it. Sometimes people will call up and think that they want a t-shirt, but then we learn that maybe hats or jackets or hooded sweatshirts are going to work better for the goal they're trying to achieve, whether that's for employee apparel or for an event that they're doing, you know, whatever it is. So we dig a little deeper and find out like what is the actual product that's going to deliver the best result they're looking for. Now that kind of begs the question of that that feels like going the extra mile in customer service means spending more time, which then also translates to what feels like higher costs. So I'm just curious what your profit margins look like on an average month and what kind of that revenue is at today. It varies monthly. So we always aim to, you know, get a 10% margin, but you know, depending on the products that we're selling and a number of other factors, especially with inflation and everything else, that number varies every month. How do your numbers compare now versus when you first got started? These continually rise. So 
our biggest thing was like, we play for the long game and it's never just like a single transaction. So we don't look at it like, you know, somebody's just buying this t-shirt one time or they're ordering for their company one time. It's how do we get this customer for life? And we play the long game. So we know that if we deliver the right service and value and everything else, we want that customer forever. So that has continued to grow our customer base. And there's a lot of customers that we've had since day one, 17 years ago. Talk to me about um, kind of making that that steady growth. Like what have you been doing to make sure that you've grown steadily year over year? Really, it comes down to relationships. So we look at building that relationship, learning more about the person, the, you know, if it's a coach about their team, what their, what their objectives are there. If it's a business, you know, learning more about that business, what do they do? How do they reach their customers? So, you know, what do their kids do? Like all this stuff, like we want to build relationships and we want to do business with people that we like. So we want to learn about them. We're just curious about our customers and building that relationship. We don't look at them as a number, but as someone we want to be friends with. So as we said in the intro, started in a single room uh, in your parents' house. What were the the startup costs for the company? I think it was around $50,000. So you can get into this business pretty cheap for a few thousand dollars, but we wanted to make sure we were investing in the best equipment that would produce great, consistent quality and also be able to handle the demand as we scaled up. So, you know, I went to a trade show, I looked at all the equipment and I wanted to make sure it was like quality stuff that was going to be able to handle the volume of five years from now, not what we were doing immediately. And are those equipment costs kind of the biggest startup expense for a t-shirt printing business? Yes, definitely. Quick uh, reminder for our listeners, you can hear more tips from business owners on how to grow a business on our YouTube channel. Check it out. Just go to youtube.com slash upflip. So thinking about some of those initial costs, $50,000, you know, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have $50,000 just laying around. So how did you finance the business when you first got started? So I'm not sure if this is unconventional or not. I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but we used 0% credit cards and took out a home equity line of credit on my parents' house. And maybe that was because I was 23 years old right out of college, but that was the best way that we could figure out how to do it. And I guess if I had to do it over again, I probably would have learned the industry a little bit before actually just diving in and then outsourcing as much as possible until I built up a customer base and enough cash from that customer base to be able to finance equipment. If you if you were doing it again and you were looking to learn the industry a little bit more kind of how how would you go about that as you as you're starting out? I would go to trade shows, join Facebook groups, see what other opportunities are out there. When I first started going to other screen printing shops, the back door was always closed and like people were afraid everything was top secret and they were afraid to share what they were doing. And since then, we've kind of opened up. I, I started a group called Screen Print Marketing and then partnered with another guy, Marshall Atkinson, who is a consultant in the industry. And we started a thing called Shirt Lab. We were bringing experts in sales and marketing and production and everything else. And then we pull in different screen printing business owners throughout the United States and we collaborate together. So since we've started, there's a lot more educational opportunities out there. There's a lot more collaboration among other people. So we don't look at it as competitors, but like co-opetition instead of competition. How can we work together to make each other better and make the industry better? 
I love that. When you were first getting started, were there any mistakes that you that you made that you felt hurt your growth early on? And I'd love to hear kind of what went wrong and how you fixed it, what you learned from it, and maybe how others can avoid it in the future. Yes, tons of them. So I was trying to wear all hats, just bootstrapping right from the start. I was 23 years old, right out of college. And I was learning the craft of screen printing, which is actually a very difficult process to learn. There's a lot of variables with screen printing, but at the same time I was learning sales, customer service, and all the other facets of running a small business. So I was probably in over my head, but I was just too young and just full of energy to realize it at the time. Several years later, I read the book, The E-Myth, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening right now. Like, I am not made to be wearing all these hats and I got to get systems and processes down in this business. So it built a lot of tenacity, but in hindsight, it probably would have been smarter to just focus on sales and marketing, outsource the production to larger, more professional shops, or even go get a job for like a year or two at another shop and learn the ropes on someone else's dime instead of we screwed up a lot of t-shirts the first year or two and had to just eat that money. So learn the lessons the hard way. Certainly, I'm sure that you're not 100% perfect with customers being happy now. So I'm curious, you know, kind of jumping off of that, of messing up shirts, what does happen when there's a problem with the order or customers not happy with the final product? How do you resolve those customer issues and complaints? So there's two sides of it. There's the internal part and the external. So internally, we want to find out what happened and why it happened so we can prevent that from happening again in the future. And then externally, when we're working with the customer, we figure out what we can do to solve the problem. Sometimes it's reprinting the order. Sometimes it's offering a refund. You know, whatever that solution is, our goal is to do whatever it takes to make it right. So I guess that sort of uh, jumped us to the end of the customer journey, but I'd also love to hear, um, you you mentioned the discovery call earlier as probably near the top of the customer journey. What are kind of those steps from first contact through them receiving those items? So it starts off with that discovery call. Then from there, we come up with the price quote. We do a mock-up of what the design is going to be, get that approved. Once it's approved, it goes into production. We order the goods, they come in. It gets staged according to the production date. Uh, We produce it, fold it, package it, ship it, and off it goes to the customer. And how are you getting them into the the top of that funnel? How are you attracting them to make you their choice for their t-shirt printing needs? So it's been completely organic growth. We have not spent any money on ads, no paid traffic, anything like that. It's just a lot of organic reach, unique marketing stunts that we've done to get publicity, to get a lot of press, media, and get other people's attention, and then word of mouth through our existing customers. Now, were most of those quote-unquote stunts at the beginning of, of the the company, and then have you kind of relied word of mouth now, or are you still kind of doing No, we still stunts? do them. I, I love looking at things just differently and saying, you know what, this is fun. How can we do something different and create attention and get people talking about it? You know, we were doing like viral videos before social media was like actually making viral stuff go viral. Right. And so it's like, how do we just frame stuff differently than what everyone else is doing to make people just pause and say, wow, that's different. That's neat. And then share it with their friends. Now, was that something that was sort of just like innate to you? How did you arrive at that sort of at that strategy? Yeah, it was just innate to me because I always just look at things kind of with a different lens and 
think like, how can we do this differently? But then also, how can we make it fun? Like if we're going to be doing this every day, I want to be make it fun. I want to make it fun, not only for us, but for our customer. And we're doing t-shirts. T-shirts are fun. It's nothing too serious. We're not like, you know, doing rocket science here, brain surgery or something else. Like we are printing t-shirts. So let's have fun with it. And let's make sure our customers have fun with it too. And what sort of platforms are you utilizing for your online storefront and the website? What tips can you share for designing a successful online store? So we use two platforms, Shopify and Chiply, and those work really well for our customers to be able to build a customized store, put their products in it, and get it out to their audiences. And the biggest tip is to keep it simple. A lot of times people try to add too many design options, way too many apparel options. And then the customer has analysis paralysis where they can't make a decision because there's too many options. So we try to just make it as simple as possible. What is the breakdown between sales to to individuals who are maybe ordering for their kids sports team or what have you? And what percentage are like other businesses doing uh, maybe something on a larger scale? About 70% of our customers are what I would call the wholesale customers. So that's corporate businesses, trade businesses, things like that, where it's B2B or businesses such as like banks, insurance companies, whoever else that are sitting up a company store for their employees to order. And then working with coaches and schools, sports teams and clubs, and they're setting up the stores. Sometimes they're ordering bulk orders and sometimes they're setting up the online stores for, you know, the fans and the teams and stuff like that to order. And so the other 30% comes from those online stores where it's individuals ordering to support a fundraiser or to support a high school sports team or to get company gear from a corporate store. And so how does that break down to like the average order size that you're dealing with? It's different. So on the wholesale side, the average order size is around $600. And then on the retail side of when people are buying, individuals are buying from those company stores or the team stores, the average order size is $71. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very different order sizes there. Do you find any difference in your marketing or sales strategy based on the type of customer you're dealing with, or does it all kind of work together in one big funnel? No, completely different customers. So the customers that are ordering from the online stores, they don't have they don't have the choice of going through the whole design process and figuring out the colors and ink colors and all that. What they're doing is they see the product on there, it's already designed, it's already picked out. They're simply picking that, you know, what size they need and checking out on a single order versus the wholesale stuff is going through that whole discovery process and there's a lot more to it. So primarily we're marketing to that wholesale client. We want businesses or or wheelhouses, businesses of 50 to 500 employees or schools and teams, clubs and nonprofits and that are ordering. They may do the online stores to get that out as part of a fundraiser or to their clients or to their internal staff. But then they're also ordering bulk purchases where they might be ordering 100 t-shirts or 500 pens or 250 hats or water bottles or something like that all at one shot. So those are the customers we focus on of of getting out the, the large volume orders. Do you have an, uh, one effective strategy you could share with us for connecting with those corporate or small business customers? Really, it's just getting out of the office, being a part of the community and going to 
events, whether that's concerts or B2B business events the chamber puts on or on a national level, going to trade shows and other events like that where you can meet people face-to-face, shake some hands and start learning about their business and really start building those relationships. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. So I've got about six questions. We're going to try and get through them in about 90 seconds at most. Uh, These questions come from our YouTube community. So uh, to our listeners out there, head over to youtube.com slash upflip. You can post questions to future podcast guests. All right, Tom, here we go. You ready? Yes. All right. Whiskey Sour is asking, should I buy artwork and present it to prospective clients or should I get the client first and then hire a graphic designer? Talk to the client first. Oftentimes they provide what they want for the artwork and that'll get you 90% of the way there. Then if you have to hire a designer to you know, edit and brush up, you can do it. Travis Collins is asking, uh, when's a good time to register the business to start brick and mortar before leasing a building and getting sales or start online, get sales, then hire someone to register the business and then later down the road, pursue brick and mortar. Hire someone to set up an LLC from day one. You can immediately start tracking sales and expenses and add some liability protection to yourself. Then start building a customer base online to gain momentum and cash flow for the brick and mortar location. Quick hack right now, would be to provide t-shirts to a business that has extra space or office space that will let you co-work in their space. Think of it as having like a little kiosk within another business. This will give you a physical location without the big expense and all the other overhead such as utilities. Rebecca Furman uh, posed a couple of different questions, two of which we've we've sort of touched on. So really, how many people did you start out with? And then also asked what the ad budget looks like and what equipment is needed. But you have touched on that if you want to just give us a quick recap. Yeah, we started with three people, no ad budget, and everything is organic. No equipment is needed if you outsource production, but if you plan to do production in-house, there's a pretty big list of equipment. Best thing is to go to a trade show or join one of the online forums to see what that looks like. What slash who would you like to have as a mascot for your brand? We have a mascot. It's a cow. Uh, Our family grew up in the dairy industry, so we have a cow's mascot, but the cow still needs a name. So if you have any suggestions, leave it in the comments. Oh, I love that. Uh, If you could have anyone in this world endorse your business, who would it be and why? Elon Musk. People are attracted to and support whatever he promotes, so I'd love him to promote us. Last question here. If aliens take over tomorrow, how would you convince them to let you keep running this business? Every t-shirt tells a story and we could tell their story to the world. That is going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. So go find us on YouTube up up on youtube.com slash upflip and you can post questions to future podcast guests. A few more questions from me, Tom. Let's look at the lead funnel again. What tools or strategies are you using to kind of track, nurture, and convert leads once they kind of initially come into that funnel? A very short intake form, and that's to qualify the lead. That is before they get to a salesperson to make sure they actually have something that we can do. Sometimes people are doing things out of the scope of what we're able to do. So sometimes it's just as powerful to say no to those clients and send them somewhere that can help them and get that out of the way first. Then we've got the discovery call or intake form from that. And then we just start the whole process. Let's talk about world records real quick. So you've got the the world record for the most t-shirts worn at one time. Talk to us about how that came about and the benefits of that kind of fun publicity. As a kid, I remember getting the Guinness World Records book 
and looking through it and thinking, someday I want to be in here and I want to break a record. And so my mind kept going and I was like, well, what kind of record could I break? And so I typed in t-shirts to look up a t-shirt record. And I saw I was wearing the most t-shirts at once. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So we put on an event and attract a lot of people. We raised $5,000 for juvenile diabetes at the event. So we tied some charity into it as well. And I broke the record. It created worldwide press, TV, radio, newspaper interviews, you name it. And it created this word of mouth buzz that has continued to grow for the last 11 years since breaking the record. Incredible incredible stuff. Uh, you might be the first world record holder I've ever interviewed. So I'm, I'm excited for that that distinction here. Talk to us about the, the equipment that you use to make the shirts. How do you source the equipment? Kind of roughly how much does it cost? And I know you went big at the start. And is there some of that lower range stuff would you recommend if someone's just kind of dipping their toe in the water? Yes, definitely. So the best thing is to go to one of the industry trade shows and that way you can see all the equipment at one time and compare to each other. And then ask around to other shop owners and see what they're using and where they've maybe bought something, it hasn't worked well, and they went to a different brand or they end up not using it or something like that because there's so many different options out there. We've got manual and automatic printing presses from m and Our heat presses are from stalls. Our embroidery machines are from Tajima. Our first press costs $5,000 and you can get start up for a lot less than that. I, we bought a press that we take to live events and I bought that press for $1,000. So you can get in pretty low, but now we've got over a million dollars in equipment. So it can really go up from there once you start scaling and making sure that you have the best quality. When you add a non-apparel item, does each item come with its own piece of equipment or are there pieces of equipment that can handle multiple non-apparel items? Yeah. So most people don't realize, but pens and koozies and water bottles and all the non-apparel items typically have a specialized piece of equipment and even specialized ink that is printing those. So in-house, most screen printers throughout the United States are just doing apparel because it's all the presses are all set up and the ink is all set up to do apparel. So typically everyone is outsourcing the promotional product printing to the companies who have the equipment set up specifically for those items. So uh, dealing with with that question might be a con in some people's mind of adding things like pens, cups, tech items, earbuds, and speakers. What are some of the pros and maybe some of the other cons of, of offering a variety of customizable products? The pro is it can give you that variety of stuff that you can do to help a customer achieve their marketing and branding goals. But again, the con is there's literally probably a million different promo products out there that it can get very overwhelming. And then talk to me about choosing a supplier for even like your t-shirt suppliers or who's going to supply the cups that you customize, the pens, making sure that you have a great item at a great price. How do you go about vetting a supplier? So we've got multiple suppliers throughout the United States. The biggest factor is how deep their inventory is, what styles and brands do they offer and how does that work with what our customers are looking for and what is their shipping time? Can we get it within a day or two or what is that turn time? Because that ultimately affects the customer service that we can deliver. Now, all of this being said, there's a lot of inventory system management, workflow management to be had in this business. So what systems or SOPs are you using to manage the business? 
So we've got a software that we've been using since day one. It's called Price It Software, and that helps manage all the orders, all the production, ordering, receiving, everything. And it's allowed us to continue to grow. And that company has made updates and everything and has grown with us. So we give them feedback. They make the changes and it has allowed us to scale. There's a lot of different ones out there. And that's just the one that we've had since the beginning. You've also physically moved the business three times since you started. Can you talk about what prompted each of those moves and what you took as some of the signs of it being the right time to move the business? Really just trying to keep up with the growth and then looking ahead of like where we want to go and how we're going to get there. And then, you know, the signs were everything was chaotic and workflow was completely out of balance where, you know, nothing flowed because we were just maximizing the space that we had. And we had orders, you know, stacked to the ceiling and the offices when orders shouldn't be in the offices, they should be in the production floor. But it was the only place we had available to put the order. So once we realized that it's like, okay, we need more space. We're becoming inefficient because of the space. So obviously there's a massive element of looking ahead at where things are going there. So how far ahead are you looking when you're setting goals and planning for the business's future? Typically three to five years. So we'll make uh, three years financial goals and then we'll break that down to each year and how that looks and then month by month and quarterly. So then we put action steps with that and KPIs that will help achieve those financial goals. Now, I mean, we could talk for hours on how to set effective business goals. So I'm just going to ask for, for your one top tip on setting effective business goals. Just keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate. Make it easy for you to do and take action on and easy for you to share with the team. What does effective business leadership mean to you? Are there specific traits or skills that you see as must-haves for great leaders? Lead by example and don't be afraid to dive in and get dirty. Have trust and faith in your team to take ownership and do what's best for the company and our clients. If you were opening the business from scratch today, what would you do differently than when you started in 2005? I would focus on our tech stack first and building a customer base. Once I had that firing on all cylinders, then start building a team and scaling up from there. How has the industry itself changed since 2005 and how have you adapted to those changes? The big trend right now is direct-to-film digital printing. It allows us to do more colors on smaller quantities and even print on demand. So this technology will continue to get better, faster, and cheaper to produce. And so we're always looking at how we can stay ahead of the trend and ahead of the industry. What's the biggest challenge in the business right now and what are you doing to overcome it? Probably people, getting the right people in to help us continue to scale. Do you have any uh, tips there of when you're interviewing people and to potentially bring them into the business? Like, what are you looking for there? What are some red flags in an interview process? It's very hard to read people during an interview because for some reason during an interview, people just, they act differently. They get nervous. They're not themselves. So I try to just keep it very relaxed and get them to be themselves and open up a little bit, learn about them, their background, their personality, things like that, besides just, you know, your cookie cutter questions that typically you do in an interview. So just try to dig in a little bit deeper of the person and their why. If you could pick the one thing that people that are listening to this take away from our conversation, what would it be? Whatever you do, play the long game. 
think long-term versus transactional and build relationships that no matter what happens in your current situation, the relationships can carry on beyond it. What's your favorite business book and why? Traction. So I'm a visionary and it helped me realize that I needed to find an integrator to help build the systems and processes to take my vision and make it a reality. Tom, where can people learn more about you and 1-800-T-Shirts? Just go to 1-800-T-Shirts.com or follow us on social media at 1-800-T-Shirts. That is going to do it for this episode of the UpFlip podcast. Just a reminder to our listeners before we go, there are tons of other knowledge resources available on UpFlip, including the hub where you can learn how to start a business and are on our blog, which has tips and information for all stages of a business's life and growth. Tom Rowan, 1-800-T-Shirt.com. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thank you.